0: Hi, uh, my name's Conrad. Um, if you don't know me, I am first time on the drums today. Um, and uh, also scripture reading. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, Chris, my wife Christy and I have been here for about uh, three months, since about October. Um, and just getting connected and love coming here with all of you. Um, today's scripture is Ephesians four seventeen through 24. assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All right. So
1: we've been going through the letter of Ephesians the last few months, and we're in chapter four right now, and today is actually the first part of a two-part message, and um, it's one of the first time I've actually said it this way, but I'd say, please, if you're here today or watching online, and please make sure you listen next week, because this is one of two parts. If you only get the first half, it's actually not going to make sense, and you could overamp on this, uh, and, and so please make sure you either come or listen if you don't get here for, for next week, because today we'll be looking at putting off the old self, and this is, uh, two it's putting off and putting on, and today we'll be looking at that old self and the, the life that, Christ is, that Paul is saying that we need to put off filled with disordered desires and, and the deceitfulness of lust. And as I do this, also just a brief warning for for parents with young children, either that are present or that are watching online, Um, because of the text, it's addressing the deceitfulness of lust and sexual immorality, and today I'm going to spend some time addressing those realities, Uh, so those with with children with little ears uh, that are are concerned, just want to give you a heads up on that, uh, because I'm going to be speaking about it very frankly. So as we enter into Ephesians chapter 4, we've been finishing the last few months again, and finish it with the first few chapters, which are all about Paul laying down our identity in Christ. The first few chapters of Ephesians, he speaks of our inheritance in Christ, all that Christ has done, the way he has uh, put, seated us with Christ, the way he saved us from death to life, the way that he has uh, made us part of his family and adopted us into the family of God, all these things that Christ has done, and now we are in him, we are children of God, we are part of this one body of faith now, joined from the two, the Jews and Gentiles, now we are one body. And as we enter into chapter 4, Paul now is moving towards application, and almost every verse is yet another command of him telling them what to do. Now do this, and do this, and do this, and don't do this. It gives the practical realities of what does it mean to actually live out our identity, and how do we actually experience life in Christ today? And so... And the passage is not just this week and next, but kind of going forward for the next few weeks for a little while. Each passage, Paul is giving very direct practical advice, or not advice, but practical commands and admonishments for the body of how to deal with each of these things. And we're going to be talking about sexual activity and immorality and, and speech and, and alcohol and, and, and so many other just practical day-to-day simple things that become part of life. And as we look at these, I just want to first address that oftentimes there's one of two responses that people often have in passages like this. We can move to the extremes. And and some people, we go through passages like this, we can default and we just read it in large chunks and we just kind of blitz past it and we just see, wow, that's a lot of bad stuff. I mean, good thing I don't struggle too bad with all those things. And we just kind of move on because those are things those people struggle with. And I really hope they're listening or they're reading these things, but that's not really my issue. We just kind of skim past these long lists of commands. Other people read it from the opposite place, and they may come in a place of brokenness. And, and so when they come to this, they actually instead see a lot of self-condemnation. And as they read through passages like this, they can think, you know, I'm awful. I'm unworthy. I, look how terrible I am. I'm wretched. And with every point, it's in a skimming past. They think, failed, 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 failed. I'm a failure. How could God love a failure like me? And passages like this can almost feel like extra abuse. And it's often people coming out of abusive situations of whether they're being abused physically or spiritually or emotionally or sexually, whatever way, and they, they come in and they feel they're already beat up. I mean, every week my house is filled by me meeting with people who are kind of fragile and, and broken and hurting and coming out of their abuse or pain and other situations. And there's many of you here today that aren't even just fragile. You're already a broken. You're already a mess. You're not just barely holding it together. You're, you've already lost it. And, and for those, I just want to encourage you as you come to passages like this and as we continue on, Remember, as you go to the passages, to look at the face of Jesus and see that it's not about condemnation. His joy and His desire is for us to experience life in Him. And do not read these as condemnations of failure. He he knows we failed. We all have. But if you look into His eyes, you'll see one of acceptance and joy and life of just saying, come with me. Especially if you wrestle with sexual sins or some of the other things he's speaking of. These verses can almost feel like a club hitting upside the head. Or we get to chapter five and he speaks of like, wives, submit. Or children, obey your parents. Or don't walk the deceitfulness of lust. And we can just think, oh, I'm worthless. No, 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 no. no. Come afresh and let the Lord speak his truth over you. Because remember, as we've been talking about, Jesus says, or it's said about Jesus and Isaiah that a, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. He is gentle and lowly. Of heart, and, and he will meet us where he's at, where we are at. And if you find yourself moving towards self-condemnation or self-hatred, please, please, please be gentle with yourself and get his eyes for where you're at. You know, there's a great phrase coined by a comedian like about 100 years ago that he said about newspapers. He said, the job of a newspaper is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And it's very easy to use that in light of Jesus and say that's often what Scripture and Jesus does. Is He comforts the afflicted for those that are hurting. But those who are really comfortable, man, we should be a bit afflicted by his words. If you're in that place and you're just skimming through this stuff, you're like, yeah, whatever. Well, you need to be a little afflicted by it. You need to dig in and say, Holy Spirit, show me where these things are real and where I'm glancing past them. But if you're in that place of pain and hurting, be very gentle as you go in and make sure you see Jesus' face. Because Jesus... Did not, our, our salvation and our place with him is not dependent upon our ability to not sin or live righteous lives. Jesus met us when we were sinners, when we were broken. He saved us from death to life, as we've been talking about. It's not based upon my ability to not do all this stuff, my ability to do all this stuff. It's based upon his goodness. That's why the thief on the cross is with him today, having done nothing to show for it, and having no actions to show for a changed life, because it's the work of Christ. So again, as we enter in, please hear Christ speaking to you, not your own self-condemnation. All right, so we're going to jump into chapter 4. And in this section, Paul is, in the preface, he's going to look at this from an eternal perspective. And I want to state that, because what he says can sound a little harsh. And some people are like, wow, they can be offended on behalf of Gentiles. So let's look at this, chapter 4, verse 17. He says, now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Again, so Paul starts really strong. And he says some things that could be seen kind of offensive. And it's kind of the point. He's intentionally speaking of this life in in a strong way. So... Let's zero in first on verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So he starts by doubling down and saying, These aren't my words. These are the words of God. So you need to listen to this, he says. This isn't just my opinion. And then he comes and says, Don't walk like a Gentile walks. Don't live like a Gentile. Now, who is he speaking to? What group of people? This letter is being written to the Gentiles. So he's saying, Don't be like you. He's telling the Gentiles, in fact, in this case, it's not just speaking to the people, the Gentiles, but he's speaking to their worldview or their, their, their way of life. And he's saying, don't live like the people of your culture. Do not be conformed to your culture. Do not live in the way that Gentiles live. Because actually, they aren't Gentiles anymore, as he's been adamant in this letter. Because there used to be two groups, Jews, and that everyone who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. But Christ now has created a third group. Not Jew, not Gentile, but those of Jews and those who Gentiles who have turned to Christ are now the third group, the people of God, as he calls them. The children of God, that is who they are. Their identity is no longer found in their culture, but it's now found in Christ. And so he says, do not live like the former way of life, like the Gentiles. Do not be conformed to your culture. The title I wanted to give to this message was, Don't Live Like an American. Um, But I figured I'd get a bunch of emails of people being offended. Um, Because we can take a lot of pride in what that means. But the point is, do not live according to your culture. Do not be conformed to your culture. And we need that message today more than ever before. So let's look at how Paul describes this, this life that all of the Gentiles came from. He says Gentiles live lives that are empty and immoral in this passage. Why? Because of the futility of their thinking. Their thinking is futile, and that Greek word for futile just means empty or vain or worthless or meaningless. In fact, it's the same word that shows up in the letter of Ecclesiastes over 30 times that Solomon writes back in the Old Testament. And in that book, to get context to that word, which Paul is using it, knowing the context of Solomon, in that letter of, of, of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, for those that, that aren't familiar with, the, with the, the story or with what went on, King Solomon was the wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived. He had more wealth than all of the, the, the oil wealth and the tech wealth of today combined. During his time, silver had no value because he had so much of it that he had acquired. Not only that, but he experienced every type of pleasure imaginable. He had over 700 wives and countless concubines. All the money imaginable and all the wisdom was the wisest man who had ever lived. He also had an incredible legacy. He did huge building projects. I mean, everything in his life was massive and, and display and it lasted, including building the giant temple to God. He had everything any person could ever desire or imagine possessing. He experienced anything every, any human could ever desire to experience. And he pursued every kind of pleasure, both good and bad, that any human could desire to pleasure. He had everything and more knowledge and wisdom than anyone could ever hope to have. And how does Solomon describe it all? When you read in the letter of Ecclesiastes, it's not being written for a guy who knows the answers. He's writing this in a place of not knowing the answers. It's kind of weird. In the Bible, you have 65 books that, that actually speak of truth of who God is. And you've got one book, Ecclesiastes. Most scholars would agree. Some would disagree. Is actually spoken in a place of him actually not having the answers for the first part of it. Speaking of just saying it's all worthless. And he says there in chapter 1, verse 2, Futility of futilities, says the preacher, King Solomon. He says, futility of futilities, all is futility. All of it, he's saying, it's useless, it's worthless. Nothing around me has value, he says. A few verses later he says, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is futility and striving after the wind. He describes everything he's done in life, everything he stands for, all the wealth, all the wisdom, everything he's built, everything he's acquired, every experience he's had, every pleasure he's pursued. He says it's like blowing in the Greek, it's like blowing and trying to grab your breath. That's how worthless and meaningless it all is, he says. None of it has value. And that's the same language Paul is using here. That at the end of Ecclesiastes, there's an addendum at the end, or an epilogue, depending on which scholar you agree, whether it's Solomon or, or a compiler that put it together. And right at the end, he says this. Here's where the wisdom comes through. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. What he's saying is, none of it has value if it's not centered on who God is. All the work of Solomon's life, everything he's did saying is futile. Because it was done apart from God. He walked completely away from the Lord. and He says it was all meaningless. Vanity upon vanities. Nothing that he pursued in his life, he says, has value. is all futile. Because it was done apart from being founded on the rock of Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here about the Gentiles. He's not saying that they are worthless. In fact, John 3.16 says God loves everyone. He, Gentiles are not worthless. They're not, they don't have value. But the work of their hands, he's saying... It's futile because it's temporal. I used to be amazed. I lived for uh, years or spent a lot of time in uh, Central Africa working in, in refugee camps. And these camps, they were pretty drastic in, in the level of poverty that was within them. HIV rates of well over 75%. I mean, tens of thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands of people living together. And every day, people are dying of malaria and malnutrition and, and HIV, and it's just happening all the time. And I know why I was there. but I mean, I'm a missionary. That's what I was called to do by God. But working alongside us as missionaries, we're often a host of Peace Corps volunteers and other people who were avowed atheists, serving with a Christ-like love of sacrificial love in ways that exceeded that of most Christians around the world. And they were serving and giving their lives to pour into the lives of all these refugees. And I used to be amazed at that level of love. But what Paul would say, what Solomon would say, is when it's not founded on who Christ is, it's it's, it's, honestly, it's futile, because it's temporal. It doesn't last. So Paul's very clear about that. And he goes on in verse 18, he says, the Gentiles are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. So Paul again isn't very generous in describing their life. And he says, now he says that the Gentiles are living in darkness in their understanding, and they're separated from a life in God because they're ignorant. Now we'd say, but that's an offensive thing to say. But he's saying, no, they are ignorant. They do not understand. Why? Because their hearts are hardened, he says. Their hearts have become hardened towards God and towards truth, rejecting who God is. And we looked from and from an eternal perspective. They may know of all the knowledge in the world, but they are ignorant because they refuse to acknowledge the truth of who Christ is. They're in darkness and separated from God. And again, they're not that they're worthless, but they are ignorant and they're hard hearted and separated from God. Their way of life is futile, Paul says, because of the hardened hearts. They deny the Lord of creation, they make an idol of themselves, and they just pursue self and pleasure, which leads to ignorance and darkness. And something that's interesting here is Paul makes it very clear that the life before Christ was in futility and darkness, and he expects that. And just as a side point, sometimes it amazes me how many Christians I see who get outraged when Gentiles live like Gentiles. When when Christians today see non-Christians believing and acting like a non-Christian should, there seems to be this outrage oftentimes amongst Christians, like, how could they do that? Well, Paul is very clear because that is what they know. We shouldn't be surprised when people act like that. He goes on in verse 19, he says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul says that this hardened their heart and it created a callousness. And and the Greek word there for callousness means to feel no pain. That's any of the callous. They, they feel no pain. That they have become numb to the severity, of the damaging effects of the sin in their lives. They're not even aware of it. That's why they got hard hearts. Because this numbness, it kept getting more numb until they got calluses, until they were hardened, which led to ignorance, which separation from God, and led to them living the lives of futility. It's just like this spiral, or like a toilet bowl flushing. You see the same pattern explained in Romans chapter one. The hardening towards God of the heart creates that spiral. And then a couple of verses later in verse 22, he says, in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourself of that old self, the old Gentile way of life, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And here Paul refers to the old life as being with deceitful lust, or, because lust is deceitful. It, it always promises something good, but it only delivers pain. You know, usually when I teach through Scripture, I have to spend a great deal of time trying to make the situation of the original readers of the text come alive so that we can look at it through their perspective. And we did that a lot at the beginning of this letter to understand what it meant. But once you get to some of this application here, you don't really need to know anything about the Ephesians to understand what he's saying when he says that lust is deceitful. It's immediately relevant to us for all time and today, maybe even more so than back then. We give in so easily and so frequently to lust today. Each time thinking, you know, that this time will be different. And, and the word for lust doesn't only refer to sex. The word that he actually used as more desire or cravings. And the primary context is sensuality and sex is referring to. But it just as much refers to other areas that we are drawn to and crave and desire, like alcohol or other things like that. He says that lust is deceitful. It draws us in and it numbs us to the reality. And, and, and we can easily get, so easily give in because we always convince ourselves, you know, this time it will be different. Right? This, this time, I won't give in like the last time. If I'm hurting or lonely or angry, I mean, lust provides such a good escape and it feels so good in the moment, I can say, ah, if I just look at pornography right now or if I just go flirt with that lady or that man or whatever it is, it, it just makes me feel so good in the moment to, to meet that need, to hit that craving. But the deceitfulness of it tells us it's okay, that it's harmless, that I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just having a little bit of fun. I'm just curious. I'm just testing out the waters. I'm just trying to fill a pain in my heart. I'm just lonely. And so it keeps drawing us in, and each time it calluses us more and more. And the promise of instant gratification leaves us with a, a pit in our stomach of knowing afterwards it's always gross and bad. Reminds me of like when we, on birthdays or something, we let one of our kids you know, have as much ice cream as they want at a party. And Hudson, our little our, our redhead middle child who fits all the stereotypes, um, just goes after it with gusto right? And then afterwards, he's like, so good. But then he starts vomiting and getting something, but it tasted so good, right? And he just can't understand. He can't stop himself. And that's what we do. We can fall so easily. The the porn session while your spouse is sleeping or in the bathroom with the door closed. The flirtation with the person at the office who's married, or maybe you're married yourself thinking, "Ah, it's just conversation. We're not doing anything serious downloading one of the hookup apps like Tinder or something else, and we're just convinced, oh, it's just having fun. I'm just playing around. I'm not going to take it too far seriously. I'm just trying to meet people. Pushing past our boundaries in the name of curiosity, testing out new things and pushing beyond what we know is right. Lust is so deceitful. And we all believe, what's most deceitful is we all believe we're the exception to the rule. We all believe we can play with fire and not get burned. But we aren't. We are just as susceptible as anyone else. And man, have I been burned so many times in my life by this. And believing, you know, that it'll just make me feel better in the moment and then with that deep emptiness and pain afterwards. Believing that, that I, I could just play around the edges and I won't fall into the fire. And the deceitfulness of lust is so powerful. The problem is that it numbs us. We don't even recognize what's happening to us and the seriousness of what we're doing. And we fail. That's so why Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he tells them, flee from sexual immorality. I was teaching on this at our Bible school back in South Africa. Um, and, and I was going through this passage. I said, so what does that mean to flee from sexual immorality? And people said, you know, it means to avoid, to don't engage in, to, to stay away from, to stop. And I'm like, no, that's not what it means. Flee does not mean avoid. Flee means run. That's, you can look it in the Greek. It means Run flee. In fact, run from present danger is what it literally translates to. Get away from. And so I said, so let's apply that right now. We had a room of 40 people like smashed into the small room. I said, everyone flee this classroom. And they all just stare at me. Like, no, flee, run. No one moves. I'm like, no, seriously, run. I pound the desk, run. And a couple people get up and obey and run. And everyone else is just looking like you're an idiot. Like, no, run, everyone, run. And he was slowly closing their computers. I'm like, no, go, get out of here, run. And a few people move slower, and I start like, pushing people out the door, and no one's running. And finally, get every people, and there's like, some of those lingering people. There's like, you're an idiot, and they're dumb, and they're just slowly going and like, looking over their shoulder at me, like standing at the doorway, just you know, trying to be funny about it. Then she comes back in, and I said, thank you for the brilliant illustration. That is what we do. That's how we understand fleeing. Ah, it doesn't matter, it's stupid. Paul's just overreacting. I don't actually need to get away from this stuff because I'm stronger than that. I'm not Im- immature. I'm not weak-minded. I don't need to run. I can sit there and be present in the midst of it. I don't need to get out of there. I can watch all the sex scenes in the movie. I can watch all of Game of Thrones in every scene. It doesn't affect me. I'm beyond that. I'm more mature. I'm, I'm more alive. I'm, I'm not a prude. I'm not stupid. I'm not weird. I can watch it all. It doesn't have an effect upon me. We think we're stronger. I can flirt a little, though. There's no harm with words. I can watch those sensual TikTok videos on my feed and just flip through them because it doesn't affect me. It just titillates the senses. It's just kind of fun. It doesn't impact me. I can share intimate details of my marriage with someone at work because, man, they're just a better listener. Nothing's going to happen. It won't turn into anything more. Just words. It just feels good because so they listen. I'm not susceptible. But we're wrong. We are so wrong. I've screwed up enough in my life to know that I don't trust myself in this area. I must flee. I recognize the dangers of the deceitfulness of lust, and they're way too large. And the stakes are too high. And I can't mess around with it. I mean, I'd like to be able to say, you know, I would never do such and such. But over my life, I can give you countless examples where I said I would never, and then only found myself doing that very thing as my heart got number and number and number. My old self, as Paul calls it, is always just right there, knocking at the door. It's like that old hoodie that I love that's you know stained and nasty and gross, my wife keeps trying to throw away, and I just keep going out and pulling it back because it just feels good, right? And pulling it out of the trash and put it back in the closet. So it just feels good always just right there knocking at the door enticing us it brings pain and heartache you know there may be a few people here today who it's not the sensuality and the sexual side of this isn't the struggle and that's okay paul again isn't only addressing sex but it's what i'm going to hammer on today he's addressing all areas of impure desires is what he's doing that that have gotten out of control that are controlling us and leading us astray but i'm sorry to say especially for the younger people in our midst this doesn't get easier with age one of the most powerful messages i ever heard was back in 1998 I just graduated from high school. I was joining a missions team going to central China. My life was devoted to missions. I was living in Australia... And we went to this huge missions conference in 1998 that was on 2000, uh, reaching 2,000 unreached people groups by the year 2000. And the keynote speaker was George Verwer. And if you don't know him, you should. He's one of the greatest legends of the missions world of the last century. And, and outside of the apostles, I don't know if anyone has done more to reach, the, to, to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth to unreached people than George Verwer. I mean, he is a legend. And I knew that. And so we were so excited to hear him speak for two hours. And so there was a three-day conference, and finally the end of it culminated in the Sunday night, and he had two hours, and I Couldn't wait to be challenged. Even though I was already committed to go to China for the rest of my life, I I, I was ready. I just wanted to be pushed by this legend of the faith. And he gets up with a room full of thousands of missionaries. And he silences the room as he spends two hours talking about the deceitfulness of lust, pornography, masturbation, and sexual immorality. What? We came to be challenged into missions. He says, that's all great, he says. But the number one thing that's going to cause... People to fail the mission of reaching the lost is this the deceitfulness of lust that we are prone to fall and be numbed into brokenness and pain. He shared that even in his 60s, this is a legend of missions, legend. I mean, I don't know anyone I could put above that of the impact they've had, who's for 40 years has been serving the Lord in the lost places of the world. And he says, at this age, 40 years into this journey, he goes, I live back in England. And he goes, to this day, I never walk into a convenience store. Because right behind the counter, back then, this is 25 years ago, every place was just filled with pornographic magazine covers right behind the stage, uncovered. And he says, I still am prone to the deceitfulness of lust. I mean, that just blew my mind. Like, I thought when he got married it was all supposed to end And so many times as a missionary, and 25 years of serving on the field, I cannot count the number of times I found myself putting back on that old self. It would often happen in the wake of a spiritual high. Literally after just seeing people healed miraculously by the Lord, or just seeing a number of people accept Christ, and I'm I'm untouchable, I'm on the top of the world with what God's doing, and in those moments, the temptation is so real, and the deceitfulness of lust comes so strong, I find myself falling back into the old way, reaching for that old hoodie, going back to the old ways, walking again those well-trodden pathways of brokenness and addiction that have been well-worn in my life, going all the back to my own childhood from when I was sexually abused. Lust is so deceitful. And we, especially as Christians, are so gullible. You know, I can't talk about the deceitfulness of lust without addressing. The most deceitful form of it today, the most accessible form of it today, and that's pornography. Pornography is a drug, and it just keeps taking over more and more lives. And it's so powerful in the numbing effects that today so much society no longer even sees it as being a problem. I was looking at some, trying to find some recent studies for some recent stats on this in the last year or two, and found the first one, was, the first few which are from the kind of secular writings from all ages, and the second, or the, the, the first one, the second few, or the last few, are from Barna, a study that was done last year amongst Christians. So, a broader study said that 91.5% of men and 60.2% of women in America are having, admitted to having report, reported to having consumed pornography in the last month. So, that's pretty broad 91% of men and 60% of women in fact the most visited porn site on the internet is the third most visited site on the internet completely like it's the third most visited site just behind google and another one it's, it's more visited than facebook and twitter and amazon porn pornography use this is from barna has in, or sorry has increased the marital infidelity rate by more than 300% three times in families where pornography usage is, is being used regularly. 68% of, this is amongst Christians, of church-going men, and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. That's us. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. That's us. And it's not just a problem of men. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. You know, secular study after secular study has shown the incredible damaging effects. Not Christian studies, secular studies have shown the negative impact that pornography has on people's relationships, their views of themselves, their self-confidence and the breakdown in marriages. Multiple studies have found, one of the scariest things, multiple studies have found a huge percentage of pornography users find that they're currently watching and searching for porn that just a while ago they would have found too revolting and disgusting to ever look at. That they would have never gone. It's more violent, more disgusting, more uh, debaucherous than ever before. And they find themselves increasingly going down that hole. That's the majority of porn users find that to happen. These are just secular studies that are showing that. Pornography literally desensitizes us. Or it uses Paul's language. It calluses our hearts. It numbs us. Billie Eilish is one of the most popular singers in the world today. If you don't know who she is, just ask your kids. Um, and, and she states very, clinger, or very clearly that she has no religious faith. Right? So this is a, a secularist who's saying this. And, and she was interviewed last year by, by Howard Stern about her addiction to pornography. And she describes this stuff that I found pretty, found pretty fascinating. She said that she was first exposed to pornography at the age of 11. And she was a pop star at a very early age. And she quickly got addicted to it. And she says it destroyed, this is her describing this, it destroyed her brain, she says, and she describes how it also destroyed her ability to really enjoy sex. And it was a big part of the cause of her depression that she struggled with since. And here's a quote from her. She said, the first few times I had sex, I was not saying no to things that were not good. It was because I thought that's what I was supposed to be attracted to, right? It was numbing her. And then she says this, she says, I'm so angry that porn is so loved and I'm so angry at myself for thinking that it was okay. That someone has no attachment to Christian morals of the Bible in any way. They just understand the negative impacts it has upon us. She's acknowledging what Paul is saying, the deceitfulness of lust, the calluses our hearts, and it pushes us towards darkness. There's no exceptions to that. And this is why Paul says a few verses later in chapter 5, we'll get there in a few weeks, he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. He goes, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking that comes out of your mouth. So Paul says, not only should we not engage in it, he goes, we shouldn't even be talking about it. Now that doesn't mean I'm like, violating that by preaching on this. But he's saying this should not be the, co- the topic of our conversations of talking about sexual things or sexual natures. We should not be engaging or listening into comedy and jokes that are coarse joking, that are making fight or making light of sexual realities. Why? Because Paul knows it will take us down. He knows the power of the deception that is in lust. And the way it will draw us and numb our hearts to the reality of Christ. This isn't about being a killjoy and saying, oh, now you can't listen to your favorite comedian. Or now you can't watch Game of Thrones. Or now you can't do something else. It's not about being a killjoy. It's about him recognizing the desire of our hearts will move towards this. We are so easily deceived. And if you think you're the exception, that you're the unicorn, you are so deceived and more endangered than anyone else. We as Christians must not be conformed to the world. We must not live as the Gentiles do or as the other Americans do. We are called to use the language, we must be set apart, which means, or we must be holy, set apart for a purpose is what that means. And that might mean that sometimes we won't always be the cool person. In fact, Billie Eilish in that interview, they asked, why did you start or why did you get addicted? She said one of the main reasons was she wanted to be cool. This is a pop star saying that. She wanted to fit in with the other her friends and with the other people to understand what it was, And so that's actually what began, was just a desire to be cool. This means if we actually want to follow Christ and not conform to the world, that sometimes we won't understand everything the world's excited about. We won't always know what the newest show was about sometimes or what the newest song was all about if we want to actually remain in a place of not allowing ourselves to be deceived. And so Paul isn't doing this to be a killjoy. He's doing it because it calluses our hearts. It numbs us. And many Christians today have been so numbed that they don't even think the fire is bad anymore. They think the fire is good. They actually like the burn. And they're calling what is evil good. And it's so common, amongst even many Christians today. An increasing number of Christians, I met with many in my office, consider that consensual use of pornography is okay within a marriage. Well, my my spouse says it's okay when I'm not around, or when we are around, or whatever. Or single people, who have been so inundated, so numbed by the effects of pornography and the constant sensual uh, Feeds of the videos through TikTok and Facebook Reels and all the rest of it. There's just constant sensuality. They've been so inundated with it that they think that to not look at it makes them a prude or would make them weird. Because it's just so much a part of life. that That's just the way it is. And we're cool. We're not like those lame older generations that would try and run from it. I can engage this. I can watch the full sex scene. I can read that explicit novel. It doesn't impact me. I'm better than that. I'm not like those prudes that came before. Like you, James, standing up there telling me, oh, boomer, good fool for this, whatever it is. And by the way, I'm not a boomer. Still a millennial. Made it by a year. <laughs> to think that we are the unicorn who's unaffected is the highest degree of self-deception. Instead, we must listen to the ultimate truth of what God is speaking to us. Even secular studies show the damaging effects that this has upon us. But God, the ultimate voice, says that it will eat away at us. It will destroy our hearts and our our intimacy and love towards one another, people we know now and those we want to know in the future. There's this intense passage where God is speaking through Isaiah the prophet to the people of God. Long time ago, where they had completely been conformed to the world around them. They were no longer set apart. They had adopted every practice of the people around them. Kind of sounds like much of the church today. Not Northview. We're, We're better than that, obviously. We would never do it. And here's what God says to them. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. Other translations would say, woe to. What sorrow for those that say that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Does that not describe our society today? 21, what sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes who think themselves so clever that they think they know better that I'm not going to be influenced by that. I don't have to flee. I'm not lame. I'm stronger than that. I know better than God does. They won't say it, but they sure believe it in their hearts. 22, what sorrow for those who are heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. We're going to talk about that one someday. There seems to be a huge rise amongst Christians that, We've gone from extreme of Christians shouldn't drink to now boast about how much you can drink because you're even looked better upon with the more you can drink. Oh, there is huge words in scripture against that. They were calling good things evil and evil things good. Things that God had said were dark, they said were good. Things he'd said were light, they were saying were darkness and things that he said were darkness, they were calling as light. Welcome to America. And not just broadly America, but Christianity as well for many parts of America. Paul is alluding back to this, this passage in Isaiah very directly. He tells the Ephesians, that's how the world lives. You have been called out of that. That's no longer who you are. Christ has made you a new creation. No longer live that way. You are called out of that life. Jesus came that you may have life. This isn't a message of self-condemnation, but it's a, life of, a message of freedom, of life in Christ, the abundant life that Christ has called for us. And then he says one of the most powerful things, he says in the whole section, a verse that we all Christians have memorized in chapter 4, verse 20 he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not how you learned who Jesus was. And sadly, some translations put, translations put not how you learned about Christ, because it makes more grammatical sense. But it's not what the Greek says. He's saying that's not how you learned who Jesus is. He says, you've learned Jesus from Jesus, the way of Jesus. That's not who Jesus is, and it's not who you're supposed to be. These are just ideas. We are to become like Christ, and that is not who Christ is. It is not the way you've learned, and it's not the way we can live in. We are called to live in love like Jesus. And he goes on. He says, but that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him and the truth that's in Jesus. Jesus. He's saying, I don't even know if some of you are Christians because I don't see it. You're so like the world that I don't even know if some of you are even Christians anymore because you so conform to the world around you. Just like the Israelites had. He says instead, put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and corrupt through deceitful desires. So Paul says, we must throw off this life with all its deceitful desires. The life that hardens our heart and numbs us and brings pain and heartache. He says instead we must put on Christ. Put on the new life. And allow the Holy Spirit to renew us and renew our minds. And that's what we are be talking about next week is how do we change? How do we put on the new self? Because it's, it's so much more than just willpower. And please, let me say this again. If you're here today or you're watching online and you're getting this message, please, even if you can't be here, please take a minute just to listen to next week's message. Because this week, alone could can be really messed up if you only get this without the other side of it. Putting off without the putting on. Because we are not called to put off. We're called to put on just as we put off. If we only put off and don't put on, well, now you explain so many Christians today that they spend their lives just trying to avoid sin. And what does that lead to? Exhaustion and pain and brokenness. And he, in the illustration he's using is clothing. Putting off clothing without putting on, what does that leave you? Naked. Vulnerable. In fact, it's more dangerous, in my opinion, to put off without putting on than it is to just stay off or stay in the old way. Sorry, messed up both analogies. <laughs> it's more, sorry, it's more dangerous to put off without putting on than it is to just stay in the old life without putting off or putting on. But that's the next week. We're going to look at that, the putting on, so please, 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 Either come back for that, or or listen again. I just didn't want to do a 90-minute message today. I'm not sure. I probably did want to, but um, you've gotten know me. But for your benefit, made a two-parter. So putting off the old self is on its own is dangerous. We must put on the new. And Paul is telling him, this is not the life that you were called to. And so for today, I want to come to application as we wrap up. Again, yeah, next week we we'll are talk about where do we go, how do we change, but I want us just to be honest with ourselves today about this. There's not much more relevant today than to talking about than the deceitfulness of lust. So in what ways are we putting back on the old life? Be honest with the Lord and with yourself this morning. Paul is speaking so strongly to the Ephesians about putting off the old and not returning to it because they keep doing it, and so do we. And there's some of you, maybe the sexuality is not the struggle. Awesome. Amen. You're in that small minority and that's fantastic. But don't think, therefore, this doesn't apply. No, because he's not only speaking about sex. He's speaking about whatever our greedy hearts are being drawn to. And it could be alcohol or impure desires or, or gossip or something else. just speaking ill of others. It could be believing the lie that it's okay to just have yet another drink. And then one more and, and one more and, and, and one more. Or as I'm preparing taxes, it could be like, oh, it's okay to tell another little white lie and another little one. I don't have to disclose that or disclose that or disclose that. Sorry, I don't know if that one's too close to home. Or, or listening to gossip and saying, well, I'm just, I'm just wanting to get prayer help for somebody else. I want to just make people aware so they can pray for them. Or I want to know how I should counsel them so I'm going to share what I know about this person. We are so susceptible to it. Just numbs. We've just become numbed to it. So many people engage in gossip or alcohol or any of these kinds of things that we're greedy to. We become numb to the effects and we don't even recognize we're doing it. But in this passage, Paul is very directly, specifically addressing also sensuality and sexual immorality. You can't get around it. And if we think that we are not influenced by the media we consume, we are fooling ourselves. So the question for us to ask is, Lord, where am I playing with fire? Or even calling the fire good? Where am I giving into deceitful lusts? What media am I consuming that's numbing my heart and mind? And if you think you're not being numbed, you're a greater fool than you could possibly imagine. You're more ignorant than you realize. There is empirical evidence, not, it's not even up for debate, that shows the impact of the media we consume and what we watch and hear upon our lives and upon our minds. There's no room for debate on the subject. And the most empirical evidence most of us are gonna see in just a couple hours. We're gonna watch the Super Bowl. And this year, seven million dollar record amount is what it costs for a 30 second commercial. Seven million dollars for 30 seconds. And many of them, Toyota and Ford and others, are gonna spend multiple tens of millions of dollars on advertisements. Why? Because they like throwing away money and putting out cool commercials. No, because they are businessmen It's corporations that know they will get a return on their investment. They don't work by feelings, they work by finances. They work with money and sense and facts. And they've seen year after year after year, if they put that out there, we will be influenced by it. And you're not a unicorn. You're not special. I know your mommy told you that, but you're not special. We're all that way. And we're going to be desiring a new truck. In a new car, I was talking to someone yesterday, or just after service this morning, and they said, you know, last year, after I, to the, I didn't even watch the Super Bowl, I just heard about it, and I wanted a new truck afterwards, I don't even like trucks. But I watched the commercial, and all of a sudden, I wanted a truck, and I don't even drive trucks, I didn't even watch the game, and now I want a truck that I would never drive. They deceive us to get a cooler truck, to drink a different beer, or in the case of lust, to, to attract us closer to the flame. So ask the Holy Spirit this morning and this week, Where am I walking in deception and pride? Where is my heart being hardened and calloused? Honestly assess the kinds of shows and movies you've been watching. I know we don't like to talk about this as Christians, and I'm not here railing against Game of Thrones or something else. It could be anything. In fact, today it's less shows and TV than it is apps like Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and YouTube and Tinder. It's not about saying these things are evil, but they're wrong but we have to stop lying to ourselves and saying that we're unaffected by it. Maybe you need to never take your phone to the bathroom again. If you find that quiet place as a married person, as a single person, the only place where you could do stupid stuff. Maybe you need to get rid of your smartphone and get one of those cool dumb phones, like a light phone or something else like that. Like Zeb has one of those cool things It's like a smart dumb phone. Maybe you need to delete TikTok or Facebook from your phone. Only access it in public places if you recognize you've been struggling with these things. Maybe you need to delete Tinder. You've been convincing yourself, ah, I'm just wanting to connect with people. Or maybe it's Grinder. you've been experimenting with it. You know it's only a dangerous, dangerous place to go. If you're wrestling with porn or with endlessly scrolling through sensual videos on media, please, please, please hear Paul's words. You are being deceived. Your heart is being hardened. You are being numbed. You are not a unicorn. I feel like Sam Genji, like speaking to Frodo about the ring, saying, give it back to me. It's destroying you. And he's like, no, 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 no. I won't. It's it's good for me. And Sam's like, no, I can see the way it's sucking away your soul and sucking away your life. That's why I often feel, speaking about this, I've seen in my own life. It is not something I am free from. I would say I have have been addicted to pornography my entire life after my sexual abuse. I was exposed at such a young age. My entire life it's been an issue. And it's been something, even in marriage, I have to put so much vigilance into. Because I know I would go back so fast if I am not careful. It's right there. that, That old hoodie is just saying, put me on. Calling out to me sometimes. Do not... Allow yourself to be fooled to thinking you don't struggle or this isn't an issue for you. And statistics would say at least half of us in this room right now are actively struggling with it. Be honest with your spouse. Reach out to a friend. Deceit flourishes in the darkness. So bring in the light. There's so many resources you can go to. Online, places like Pure Desire. We actually have a a recovery group that even meets in this building uh, every week. Speak to your spouse. Speak to a loved one. But if you consider yourself a follower of Christ and you're engaging in these kinds of activities you are being eaten away. You are losing life, whether you recognize it or not. If you don't, it's that Frodo situation all over again. You just don't see it. But it's sucking away your life and bringing darkness and pain. And that doesn't mean... Or when we're called to live and love like Jesus, it doesn't mean just loving our neighbors and helping the poor. It means actually becoming like Christ and dealing with the disordered desires in our heart. And please hear me, this is not a message of condemnation. It's not about to just stop and don't be stupid. That's not what it's saying. Is we want to. I'm not saying stop that. I'm saying enjoy this, enjoy what Christ has called us to the life, the abundant life that He's called us to. Because He's not calling us to do this because He wants to hurt us. He's calling because He wants to see us have life. Give that over to me, and you will experience life and joy in ways beyond what you can ever imagine. You just might have to tell friends, "Wow, no, I didn't see that movie." Every once in a while. Not always be caught up on the newest thing sometimes. Calls us for life. So let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you. That you called us for abundant life, Lord Jesus. In you. And so Father, I just pray for us today. May we be able to be honest with you. And Holy Spirit, may you come and speak to us. Right now, speak to our hearts. And show us where we become numb to the reality of your presence because of the deceitfulness of lust that, that impacts us. May, may you bring to mind right now where we're walking in, in arrogance and deception, thinking that we can play with fire and not be burned. May your gentle conviction right now come, Holy Spirit. And may Jesus, may we long to experience your life and to become more like you. And may we release these things back to you, Lord Jesus. May we be honest with you, Lord. Amen. Amen. And as we just finished, we move to worship this morning. If you're here today and you're not actively following Jesus, maybe you did at one point and you're no longer. And you're hearing and you're like, that, that, that message of futility is something that is real for me. Because my life feels futile. And I've not even done a, a, a tiny fraction of what Solomon has done. And I feel that the darkness, even of, of, of my brokenness, is actually impacting me and it's dragging me down and I don't have life for joy that's being robbed. You feel separated from God. I want to know that Jesus is right here right now. And he's speaking to each of us. He's saying, come to me. I have life for you. Come to me and I will give you life. He's speaking at this moment. He's speaking to you and saying, I want you to taste my life. So right now, I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online and you're thinking, man, I'm just weary. I'm hurting. Right now, just turn and say, Jesus, I want your life. Just pray with me if that's you. And say, Jesus, I want to experience life in you. I'm tired of the weariness and I'm tired of the futility of my life. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm tired of of tasting all the things the world has to offer and just falling flat. Jesus, I want you. I want life. I want to turn from my disorder brokenness and desires and experience your abundant joy in life. Amen. If that's you and you're praying that prayer, please tell someone If you're here, come talk to me afterwards or talk to a friend. If you're online, please get in touch with someone. We would love to see you experience greater degrees of life. Oh, Jesus, what a joy it is that we get to trust you, not ourselves. because We are broken. We do dumb stuff so much, Lord, but our trust is in you. And thank you, Father, that you have set us on a course to experience your life. And you stand here just offering abundant life in you, and so often we just run back to the brokenness, think that we can do it on our own and we don't actually want to choose your path of life. We, we want to find our own way through brokenness and tears and pain and heartache and loss. Oh, Jesus, draw us deeper into your presence. For those that are deeply wrestling with this right now, oh, Holy Spirit, speak your words of life to them. Call them out of that place of pain. Call them out Help them to take off the old and put on the new, Jesus. We experience life in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming today. Just a reminder, if if you're here today or watching online, please, 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 if you can't make it next week, at least listen to the message to get the follow-up, which talks the flip side of this of how to put on the new. And if you're here and you're new today, you're watching online, you've been here a couple weeks or even longer, you've not come to one of our welcome lunches, next week we have a welcome lunch right after service, after second service. Please get a free lunch. I'd love to hang out with all the pastors and and leaders will be there. We'd love to get to know you and get to know you a bit more and see how to get connected and, and find out more about you. So we'll see you guys next week. Blessings.